This episode of The Huddle is brought to you by the Athletic Club Oakland, my go-to sports bar in the East Bay. This will be a shock to no one. I love watching sports, and I love it even more while at a sports bar. But to be honest, there was a long period of time where I just couldn't find one I really liked. I'd hit a spot that had TVs, but the food sucked ass, or a place that had good food, but they wouldn't show the game I wanted, and the inside felt dark and depressing. It was always some trade-off or sacrifice, and that's done now. The ACO is exactly what I'm looking for. They have a huge space, including an outdoor spot where they shut down an entire street and called it the town gardens. They have more than 100 televisions, which can and will show every game you ask for, and they have great food. The ACO has everything. You need to comfortably watch your favorite team in any sport at any time with passionate fans. I love it, and I'm pretty damn sure you will too. The Athletic Club Oakland, where sports fans get everything they want every day they want it. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in the Warriors Huddle with me, Bram. No Marcus today, but with me per usual, my master of all things video and sound, Maxime. How's it going? Maxime, I am fired up to announce that rejoining us after way too long, the former Golden State beat writer for the Bay Area News Group, the current West Coast specialist for NBA.com, a noted graffiti artist in the streets of Los Angeles whose mural work has drawn the praise of millions, and a media presence who is a much bigger deal than we ever really acknowledge on this show, Mr. Mark Medina. What's going on, Mark? Hey, Bram, I'm doing well. Uh, much uh, thanks for that very flattering resume, but you got a fact wrong here. No graffiti artists here. My hands are clean. I will not stand for this fabrication and character attacks. <laughs> you know, I, you I, won't, throwing me. I, I won't even try to disprove that. Your graffiti work uh, stands on its own. Instead, I'm going to underline the last thing I said. So, Maxime, I did a little bit of looking, right? I did a little little stalking of uh, Mark's recent past. To Do I need a restraining order here? What's going on? Don't you worry about that. I mean, it was professional. I'm not like outside of your house. It was on online. But what it confirmed for me is that you work with big names all the time, and we never really talk about it. Let me give you an example. Maxime, here are the names that Mark recently worked with via NBA.com. Lori Markinen, Marcus Smart, Bama DeBio, Christian Wood, Chris Stapps, Porzingis, the list goes on and on. He's got all these NBA stars in here. And so, shit, we at least got to say it. You know, I mean, I I much prefer you defacing LeBron murals, but you are a fairly large deal in the NBA. And in fact, it leads to this. Any truth to the rumor, Mark, that you much prefer hanging out with Maxime and I than NBA stars? I mean, I, I've heard that from a few different people. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, NBA stars, it's all about uh, you, you feel like you associate them with work. And their colleagues right here, you and Maxime, I can enjoy, you know, grabbing a drink, a bite. Uh, so, yeah, I, I much prefer your company than uh, haggling players for access. But, Bram, again, I love the resume, the rundown. I'm very flattered by it. But you left out some key details of all those notable players. There's more important players, especially for this audience, that I talked to this season. Clay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins. If they're watching this podcast, they're probably offended 
that you omitted their names. I was testing you, Mark, and you've passed my test, so congratulations. Um, I should also say, just to kind of get rid of a misnomer, so on this show, it may seem like we were fun to hang out with. In real life, I think I'm just an asshole, man. I, uh, I was just telling Maxime this, and let me bore you with it. So let's rewind the clock. Uh, today is Thursday. Rewind it to about a week ago, Friday, and the Warriors are playing Cleveland without any of their stars. And it ended up being a really great feel-good win, right? They pulled it out. Well, on that day, I was listening to the game. I couldn't watch it because my family and I are driving up to Tahoe. And so the drive begins, and the Warriors are up by 20, and it's all sunshine and happiness. And anything my daughter says, I couldn't you know, follow up enough with. I'm just loving it. My wife asked me a question. I'm answering enthusiastically. And then Cleveland starts fucking coming back. And you know the Warriors won the game, but there was a period of time there where that 20-point game and that 20-point lead whittled down to like four or five. And my family's not paying attention. They don't care. And instead of calmly letting them know, like, look, I really care about this. Would you mind, you know, stop talking. Let me hear it. I just slowly turned the volume up on the radio <laughs> more and more and more and more until my family stopped talking. So I th- I'm going right back to what I said, I think I'm an asshole. You don't have to participate. You don't have to give me your opinion on that. But I at least wanted to admit it into this microphone. Well, uh, how about this, Bram? I'm not going to give my opinion on it. I won't confirm, nor did I. But I would not be surprised that when Dennis Leary made that legendary song, what in the nineties called asshole, uh, he may have been inspired by someone well before that person fulfilled that job description. Yeah, thanks man. It feels like you did weigh in there. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm not incredibly smart, but it did feel like you just not only said I was an asshole, but there's a song written about it, but I don't, you know, I won't get in my feelings instead, boys, let's talk warriors. Um, let's go. To the opening segment, the one we do every week. That's our glass half full. Mark, it's when we look back on things that have recently happened in Warriors Hoop. And you give me something you like and don't. I'll go first because it's just bursting out of me. You know what I like? I like watching the Warriors beat the fucking Memphis Grizzlies. I've been lucky, man, right? Over these last few years, there's been no shortage of regular season wins for the Warriors. I've got to watch them win in all different types of ways. And I can tell you that one of my favorite things to watch is them beating that goddamn Memphis team. And it's it's almost like watching like a movie scene where a young brash bully gets their ass beat by like a seasoned karate master. You know, watching Memphis talk all this shit during the offseason and point out that there's no one they have to worry about in the West and that they should have beaten Golden State even during the playoffs and that they're this elite team. I mean, watching it go 0 for 2 against the Warriors while the Warriors still weren't playing to their top capacity, I am here for it. And I'll give you something else I like. Let's show off our, uh, our fancy video screen sharing. So we do a segment occasionally on here, Mark, called Behind Enemy Lines. There's a website out there called Reddit. Reddit has a bunch of subpages. If you like anything... Reddit has a subpage for you. And so there's a subpage for Memphis Grizzlies fans. And uh, Maxine, we can pull it up. We're looking at it. That subpage is called Big Memphis. Another thing I like, Mark, is overreactions from Memphis fan base. So as confident as the Grizzlies players may be, it turns out that their fan base isn't quite that confident. We're looking at one right now. It's a picture of a guy who looks like he's been shot in the face and he's... uh, face down at a desk in a courtroom. And the title of that is Mood after these last few games. And then go up one more segment for me. Here is one called, So What's Our Feelings and Thoughts Today? Go ahead and click on that, Maxime. This is from a Memphis fan. Quote, I think I've seen enough to know that much like last year, we struggle versus playoff experienced opposition. 
We're still young and talk a good game, but don't often show it against better opposition. We struggle in the half-court offense, and our free throws are terrible. Will it improve with experience? Maybe, but I don't think it's this year. I just love watching that, man. It just makes me fucking happy to read that. So those are two things I like. I got some more, but I'll, I'll pass the mic for a minute. What do you boys got? Well, Maxime, I was going to defer to you, but I guess I'll just take the floor and fill <laughs> up this, this silence here. Half-glass full is that the Warriors have won 24 games this season. Half-glass empty is they've also lost 24 games this season. Um, it's really weird to read this team because we kind of know what it's going to be like. Hey, embrace the unpredictable. Maybe not embrace, but expect uh, them to be predictably unpredictable. But it's like this roller coaster ride where you feel like, hey, all these turns are exciting and scary, but now great because it didn't go off the rails. We don't quite know how that ride's going to end. And I think from now until the rest of the regular season, we feel like we know what it's going to be. It's going to be turbulent. There's going to be some fun times, some aggravating times, but that unknown of how does ultimately this ride end is very unsettling. And also, I think uh, to some degree in, intriguing, at least from a you know writer standpoint, because you just don't know what's going to happen. And there's just all these ingredients where it can work out in the end because it's the Warriors. They're defending their championship. They got the all-star equity and, you know, that corporate knowledge that Greg Popovich with the Spurs talks uh, a lot. You know, you have young guys. Maybe they grow before your eyes. But you also have the other side of the coin of the young guys not showing enough progress, yep. the all-stars not being who they once were, and, you know, the, the rest of the Western Conference kind of taking advantage of that. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say about all the, this Warriors season. It's been weird, to say the well, least. I want you to say something because prior to today, you've kind of been our voice of national optimism. Um, and I wasn't joking. Before I did look at your archive on NBA.com, and one of the things I saw is you did a poll of media members. And uh, one of the questions you asked everybody, what team do you expect to turn it around in the second half? And more than half the people who answered your question, or about half of them, said Golden State. Um, and I remember thinking when I read that, I wonder if Mark still believes this. So the response you just gave us suggests you're kind of on the fence, man. Um, so let me ask you, the, the, this is something we did a while back. If you had to bet something significant to you, and there's only two options, either you bet that Golden State loses in the first round or you bet that they make the finals, which way would you bet? Yeah, Bram, I, I I hope you don't dislike me even more, but and accuse me of uh -oh. fabricated uh, crimes here. But yeah, I would put money on them losing the first round oh, no. as opposed to uh, getting to the championship. And you mentioned that poll. I thought what that what was revealing is why there are definitely a lot of voters that said, "Hey, the Warriors are primed for a strong run in the second half." No one predicted that they would win the championship. I, yep. I think only three percent really. Uh, there was one person. And, you know, it's anonymous, so I can't say who, but they, they voted, hey, they're going to get to the finals, but then they'll lose to Milwaukee. Like, that's the ultimate, like, <laughs> rip your heart out kind of feel for Warrior fans. So, you know, when you're looking at it, there certainly isn't this, hey, it's, it's an impossible task for the Warriors to overcome this. There are elements in play for them to do this, but I think that there's also stronger elements that suggest that they're not going to, defend their championship um you I know think but, you... but it is wide open i mean there's not a heavy favorite in the west you know it really feels like it's tilting toward the denver nuggets there's some believers in the clippers of hey they'll get healthy but there's also some skeptics that they won't ever and then maybe some outside chances with memphis and the warriors but 
it is wide open, but the Warriors have shown that even up until the midway point of the season, they've been the same story as they be, as they have been at the beginning of the season, which is they're wildly inconsistent. To no one's surprise, that does make me hate you. And probably just because <laughs> I agree with you. You know, like I mean, like it's like you're reading my diary and that's not what I want. So I have a couple of points of optimism I'm going to answer that with. But Maxime, let's turn to you for a second, man. Glass half full. What do you got? Well, I mean, if you're asking me about glass half full, I look, I mean, it's that was a that was a great win. The W is a W. I also was just hearing Zach Lowe talking on his podcast about how if he feels like for, you know, he backed it up with a lot of solid reasoning that I'm not going to repeat now because everybody can just go listen to the low post. Um, why he feels like the Warriors totally still could go on a run um, with what he's been seeing right now. But, you know, you said you're going to bring some optimism, so I'll keep it on the pessimism side. I know we had a game winner. I know we won by two last night. But at the same time, I can't help but feel like this team is still having problems executing in the clutch. That came on the back of, first of all, a missed Clay Thompson shot with like five seconds to go that luckily allowed us to get another inbounds play for that final dump to Jordan Poole for the layup. Okay, great, but we missed the actual clutch moment first. That was preceded by a really boneheaded shot that I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit later from Jordan Poole with 12 seconds to go on the shot clock. It's like, bro, hold the ball. Come on, run out the time. But then even before that, there was a deflected pass that Jordan Poole sent off over to Steph that, I mean, we got very lucky that that went out of bounds. It wasn't a turnover right there. I mean, it's just like more and more problems happening over and over again that make me feel like, okay, great, we got the win this time, but that feels more like a fluke than any sort of an indication that we're turning it around and we're going to start going on a run. So I'll push back on that. And Mark, I'd love your help with it. But I mean, the everything you just said is true, but finish the story. After all of that, what happened? The Warriors still sacked up and walked away with the win. One of the biggest concerns we've had is their ability to close out fucking games and not let go of the rope. Golden State had every excuse to give up last night. Everyone highlighted at the end by Steph being thrown out of the fucking game, which is something that we're going to, to cover in a moment. But instead of folding, like we've seen them do multiple times, they still came through in the clutch, hopefully a sign that they've got that wake-up call that Steve Kerr has been calling for over and over again. And I'll turn that into another compliment for Jordan Poole. Another thing I liked was his mental fortitude. I've been watching fucking basketball for as long as I can remember. Very long time. Longer than I care to admit into this microphone. You know what I've never seen? Somebody take a shot so bad that it got their teammate ejected. I've never seen that happen at, at any point ever. And that's exactly what happened with Jordan Poole. If I do that, if most people do that, it's over. Your night's done. You're not getting over that mental mistake, you know? And instead of succumbing to it, which I would have done, a lot of other people would have, Poole was mentally fucking strong. He, he gripped it back together and was ultimately the reason that they won. So much so, I don't know if you boys saw this, but after the game, when he ran into Steph in the locker room, he joked about it. You know, he took his mouthpiece, Jordan Poole took his mouthpiece and threw it to the side kind of in a joking fashion with Poole. And we're, uh, we're watching that okay. right now on our video share. So I can't say definitively because they finally pulled it out last night. Are there mental errors and their inability to close out games behind us? No, but they sure as hell put them behind them for at least one game. And it was an important one one where the nation was watching and against a hated rival. So two things I like, you know? Yeah, Bram, I'm with you here. I mean, there's there's uh, two kind of parallels here. Nikola Jokic uh, from the Denver Nuggets said a few weeks ago in, in context of, hey, the Nuggets playing really well in close games. And he, he said something along the lines of, 
good teams find a way to win close, ugly games, and losing teams find a way to, or bad teams find a way to lose those games. Sure. And you know, a week a week ago, you saw the Warriors lose some of those games where you think, like, how do they squander these leads? Maybe it's too strong of a word to say they collapsed because teams like the Celtics and the Nets are good, but for them to squander in crunch time. But sure. you fast forward to the Grizzlies game, and they prevailed against a very good opponent. Now, I'm with you. I never saw uh, a teammate take an ill-advised shot, and then his teammate gets ejected, and they wind up losing the game. But I, I got some flashbacks here to the 2010 NBA playoffs with the Los Angeles Lakers. Some apples and oranges, but there's some parallels where the Western Conference Finals, Game 5 against the Phoenix Suns, Ron Artest had a wide-open three, and the entire arena was saying, no, don't shoot it. And not only did he shoot it once, he shot it twice, missed both shots. He was supposed to run out the clock. Phoenix winds up tying the game after those missed shots. And instead of a teammate throwing a mouthpiece or getting upset, it was the coach, Phil Jackson, getting upset with him on the sidelines. And he was actually having an internal thought bubble, like, should I allow him to play on the next play or should I sit him down? He decided, you know what? I'm going to allow Ron Artest to be a part of the next play. And the next play, Kobe Bryant takes a uh, you know contested jumper. He misses, and Ron Artest goes in and gets the tip-in for the game-winning shot. So, like, that instant redeeming of himself and that sure. quality – of helping you know a team win the game after potentially putting them in a position where they could lose it. And I think that that had a real trickle-down effect toward the rest of the playoffs because he had some strong games in that closeout win against Phoenix, most notably that game seven against the Boston Celtics. And prior to that, Runner Test definitely had a lot of good moments, most notably defensively, but there was also this season-long narrative of, hey, he was this new free agent signee. We let Trevor Reza go. Was this the right fit? You know, is he going to be able to blend his talents in with a championship tested team? Now, different dynamics, obviously, with Jordan Poole. He's been with the team before. Sure. It's more of a young player growing into himself. But the, I think these are real moments that foster a lot of long term growth. And so uh, I'm very optimistic that this could have, you know, very tangible effects moving forward for him. I love that. Um, I think it was a sliding doors moment. So I haven't used this example for a long time. This is a while back. It was a romantic comedy called Sliding Doors. Um, and the movie starts where a woman's in London. She runs down to grab a train in the underground. And in one scene, she doesn't make it. And then in a parallel scene, she does make that train. And the movie sees what would happen if she made it, if she didn't. Sliding doors, right? And last night felt like a sliding doors moment. And here's why. Steph's reaction the thing that got him ejected, we'll watch that in a second, screams to me that these frustrations that we're all having, Steph's having too. You know, you, you don't have that kind of uncontrollable anger with just one moment. You know, I mean, I, I understand that it was aimed at the shot, but that means he entered into that game and already had some mounting frustration that I think came out on the court. And so if, let's say they don't win that game, Let's say that mistake happens. Steph shows how angry he is. The Warriors still lose it. I, I think there could have been some kind of nasty, lasting repercussions from that. Instead, they win it. Instead, they win it, and Jordan Poole is light with Steph afterwards. I, I feel like that that was an important moment, and it went the way we needed it to. Um, let me ask you this, and Maxime, if you don't mind, go ahead and throw up the uh, the video of Steph 
throwing out the mouthpiece. Let me ask you, Mark. So I will concede immediately. I understand that there's a rule that says if you throw anything into the stands, you get ejected. You know, there, there's no room for interpretation. That's it. You get thrown out. Do you think Steph should have been ejected last night? Should there have been some leeway? You know, because you you covered, you know, as big as stars get, you watched Kobe, I would imagine, get, escape the actual letter of the law every now and again. So in this circumstance, what do you think, man? Should he have been thrown out? I don't think he should have been thrown out, but Steph Curry also should have known what the rule is because they've uh, definitely emphasized it, you know, every single season. This isn't his first go-around, specifically yeah. with the mouthpiece, most notably in the 2016 NBA Finals. There's a regular season game, ironically, against the Memphis Grizzlies in the 2017-18 season where he was upset with the officiating. He yeah. threw the piece. Now, the context of that is it was directed toward the official. Uh, and then, you know, in the 2016 yeah. NBA Finals, it hit a fan, and he immediately apologized. Um, so I, I think... He should have gotten ejected, but Steph also should have known better. Uh, there's ways that he can express his anger without throwing a device, no matter how harmless a mouthpiece is, right? Um, he could have yeah, yelled as many that. expletives as loud as he wanted to, as long as it wasn't directed at someone, and he would have been able to stay on the court. But at the same time, I'm not going to like condemn Steph or question his leadership. Like He had a right to be upset, and so you're – point about Jordan Poole, this wasn't just uh, a moment of frustration for that specific play. There definitely was, uh, you know, I think some lingering things uh, from just, you know, his ups and downs as, and growth of his, as a young player that also bubbled above the surface. You ever thrown something out of just anger, like literally lost temporary control and threw something that, you know, just it, it, it didn't intend to do it. You weren't trying to make a point. You, for whatever reason, at one point got so angry, you lost control of your body functions and threw something. Um, my guess for you, Mark, is no. I don't, I see you as an in control person. I don't see your emotions getting the best of you. I'm going to guess no on that. What's the answer? Well, are we going to pull Maxime or what? Sure. Well, we'll go to, we'll go to, uh, we'll right, go to that I'll, I'll, that'll answer. Yeah. No, All yeah, right. I mean, listen, the type of person that you, you need to be cool, calm, and collected when you're spray painting, you know, the side of a wall. So I think it's one of those situations. You can't, you can't freak out in those moments, you know? It's high stakes. Panic. So if the cops come or something, you got to be able to hide exactly your shit right. and like throw it hella crazily. I mean, that's exactly right. Um, I don't recall, but I'm sure as a kid, I've thrown things when there were witnesses. <laughs> as an adult, um, I've never thrown anything when there were witnesses. But, you know, in my private moments, surely, I think... You know, for the Warriors audience, uh, since you asked the question, I think the best analogy is, um, you know, I have the temperament that Steve Kerr has. I, I certainly don't have the qualifications. Like Steve Kerr is You've broken a one, bunch of one of the best one of the best coaches. He's an he was an amazing former NBA player. He's incredibly smart, but from a demeanor standpoint, I definitely identify with him. Where uh, I feel like uh, I am a calm person. It's very important to show that. Uh, just, you know, with relationships and just <laughs> your everyday development. But I internalize the anger. And when I ha when I have those moments, I can definitely show, uh, you know, some Serbian uh, temper, temper, <laughs> right? And so I've never broken clipboards, but if I had the opportunity, I probably would have. <laughs> Professionally, I'm pretty cool. 
in a courtroom, in, in the office, I mean, I'll internally, I'll lose my mind, but externally, you'll never see it. Personally, I'm a psychopath to no one's surprise. Um, I've talked about on this phone or on this phone, on this microphone during the playoff series against Memphis, when we lost that game by 50, I threw my phone against the wall and dented it, scaring everybody in the room and like specifically my then six-year-old daughter. But I've also done another crazy shit. Uh, Maybe four or five months ago, I was getting ready for a mock trial and was preparing this open. And I'd been working on it, man, for like two, three weeks. And I went to my computer, opened it up, and everything I'd been working on had disappeared. You know, I'd lost it. It, it had completely gone. And I dealt with that frustration at one point by taking off my shirt. I have no idea why. I remember sitting there like, what's going on? Like, why would you have done? So I am capable of crazy things on my own uh, enough. With my uh, wait, real quick, Graham, would you uh, would you subscribe to this comparison? You're the Draymond Green of lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, for example, I punched somebody just a few months ago. You know, it's somebody close to my firm. So I think that is on the money to the off the court report. So, Mark, normally I would just give you this topic and then back off. But I'm doing this one with kind of an agenda. Um, and let's start with a precipice question. One I'm nervous about, but I feel pretty confident that you've gotten the foundation for. So one of the Memphis stories that went live before they came here to uh, San Francisco and play the Warriors was their run-in with Shannon Sharp in Los Angeles. And when they played the Lakers, were you there? Were you there live? Oh. I was there. Uh, I did not have a courtside seat, but I was in the press seats. Um uh, I wish at that moment in time I was on the other side behind the other basket because I would have gotten a, a better view of it. I was on the opposite side, but no doubt I saw Shannon Sharp all of a sudden stand up out of his seat and then this huge commotion and almost the entire Grizzlies team approaching okay. him. And then I was very confused what the you-know-what is going on. And then when I saw the replay feeds on TV – uh, there was, I guess, some more clarity, but I also was wondering, like, what sparked this, like, Anchorman kind of fight at Crypto.com Arena? So go ahead and play it for us, Maxime, so we have it as a background. Um, and just your experience, Mark, explain, I mean, I, you basically just did, but for those who didn't see it, in a nutshell, what happened at uh, Crypto Arena? Yeah, well, Shannon Sharp, he's at a courtside seat. Um, you know, shout out to ESPN's Dave McMenamin, good uh Good uh, media member, a good friend. He caught up with Shannon after security, like, whisked him away at halftime and asked him his version of events. And basically, he was talking, you know what, to Dylan Brooks, saying that he couldn't guard LeBron James. Dylan Brooks took exception to that. There are ex expletives thrown. Dylan Brooks started approaching him. Then Steven Adams, John Morant, T. Morant, like the entire <laughs> Grizzlies team. So it was really weird. And honestly, like, I, I was in the middle of, like, the commotion of this. But I did think of you at the time because I'm wondering, on one hand, like, do you love Shannon Sharp for approaching a Grizzlies team that you detest? Yes, or, yes do I do. You th or are you feeling like, you know, th this guy has got to be ejected. This is a LeBron James defender. And how on earth can he get courtside seats heckling the Lakers' opponent of the night? Like, how did you uh, process 
potentially conflicting thoughts about all that? It's a great question. Almost like therapy. I hope like I'm working through my own issues through your question. And what you've helped me realize is Memphis has moved past LeBron in the who I hate most list. Whoa! I was, I was definitely rooting for Shannon Sharp. There's something about LeBron's aging process has made him more palatable for me. I almost like I, as an, as an older guy myself, I like, I, I feel like I kind of associate with him more now. Um, conversational topic for another podcast. This one, the second I saw Shannon Sharp and his cardigan on the floor talking huge shit, I was a gigantic fan. I know that people have been focusing on whether or not Shannon had been thrown out. Let me ask a different question. Did T. Morant get thrown out? I don't think he fucking did, right? Jaw's dad? Jaw's dad wasn't a player. He was also just a high-profile fan. Of course he didn't get thrown out either. So, you know, I, I get that everyone's focusing on, you know, if that had been a regular fan, Shannon would have found himself on the outside of crypto arena. Well, he's not the only one who is entitled in that. And I think that would have been true for anyone who is a part of a, an NBA player's inner circle. So, you know, should Shannon have been kicked out? Sure. But it doesn't surprise me that he wasn't. But I do have some follow-up questions for both of you boys. So we were watching the, uh, we were just watching the frack right there. When you saw it, and you've seen a million of these uh, Mark, you know, the NBA players do the, I really want to fight. I really want to fight, but they probably don't. Do you think anybody, including Shannon Sharp, do you think anybody in that back and forth actually wanted to throw blows? I, I definitely think Steven Adams wanted to, and, so. and he would have like, <laughs> if he was able to, and there weren't security guards blocking him, like, yeah, it could have been ugly. Like I don't I don't want to be like crass about this, but like Shannon Sharp definitely would have been in danger. Like Steven Adams is one strong bad, you know what. That's it. So and, that was gonna be my next question is yeah. if they actually so I agree with you. Um if you watch that, it feature and and this is a area of expertise. I spent a lot of time in high school pretending like I wanted to fight and I did not. I was terrified of it. So like using the knowledge of like the facial expressions I used to make. Everybody on that court, nobody really wanted any smoke, except for, I think, Shannon Sharp, and I'm positive, Stephen Adams. There was like four or five different people who inadvertently put themselves in between Stephen Adams and Shannon Sharp, and Stephen Adams, without even trying, just physically moved them out of the way. Like, I mean, just because just he's such a giant man, which leads to this question. I'll fire it off to you, Maxime. If they fight, they didn't, they wouldn't, they are professionals. If they fought, who wins that fight between Stephen Adams and Shannon Sharp? Because Shannon's a big dude, man. I mean, I, I know that I, I know who Steven Adams is. You know, he looks like Aquaman. And I know that he is currently playing as opposed to retired. But Shannon Sharp of the retire. Yeah, okay, we're looking at, at uh, a picture of him and, and how ridiculously in shape he is. Shannon Sharp looks like he could go into an NFL training camp tomorrow. So if they fought, who do you think wins that fight? You know, it's, it's really funny. Like they, this is the same video. I just, I realized after I pulled it away that they like have been preempting all of the takes that we're going to be talking about. Uh, originally was going to say Steven Adams because he's like a current, you know, NBA player, but I, I don't know. I feel like actually Shannon Sharp might have the edge here. I think there is something about the physicality of the NFL that even if you, you know, so long as he stays in shape, which clearly he is afterwards, I think he could take Steven Adams. Let's see. That's my hot take. You know what? The wor you know what? I'm usually not swayed by Instagram workout videos, but I'll make an <laughs> exception here. Like, okay, I knew uh, before you're interjecting, Bram. I was going to say, like, in Chan's defense, NFL Hall of Famer, like he would have taken out the rest of the Grizzlies team. They, he's definitely on point when he told Dave, like, they didn't want his smoke, right? 
But now that I see those videos, like, yeah, Stephen Adams probably should have thanked his lucky stars that security uh, intervened because it could have been a, a bad day for him as well. Uh, what I was going to ask, but I think we already know, if the three of us had to fight Stephen Adams, who do you think wins? I think it's Stephen Adams, and I think it's a long slide. I'd be running, so it would just be the two of you, you know, like uh, almost immediately. Although my boy Thomas just came in with a comment, Bram could totally take Stephen Adams. Unless it was like a speaking contest, I don't think I'm taking him in fucking anything. And even then, he probably takes me down. All right, time for the meat of the podcast, so I'm going to switch us to our golden questions. This is our mailbag, right? It always deals with the Warriors, occasionally gets personal. And it was this question that made me reach out to you this week, man. You, you are always handpicked. I always love having you, but we really need you this week. Here's the question. Quote, I need some national perspective on a local emergency. Please get the funky Comedina back on the pod and ask him if he thinks Bob Myers will get re-signed. So, Mark, I'm sure you're already aware of this, but just this week, an excellent article on the athletic surface, and it's been causing kind of panic in Golden State. So let me set up the logistics from that article, and then I got some follow-up questions for you. The article itself, written by uh, Anthony Slater, Marcus Thompson, and Sam Amick, it's called Why the Warriors Are in Danger of Losing Bob Myers. And here's the way I interpret it. So Myers in the final year of his deal. That deal runs in June, I believe. Um, and the two sides have come to an impasse. Now, unlike Warriors players or players from any team, GM, front office numbers are not broadcast. We don't know how much money was offered to him. But the article does suggest that Myers would like top three money and Golden State has not yet offered it, which is weird for a couple of reasons, man. Reason number one, Lacob is on record just last month specifically saying that Myers is right now getting top three money. He said that on TK's uh, podcast, the TK show about a month ago. And then the athletic is citing several sources with quote ballpark knowledge of executive salaries around the league, which are telling them that Myers is not getting top three money, but is in fact right now only being offered top six to eight money. Weird disparity. And then secondly, the other thing that's kind of strange, that he isn't getting top three money He's really fucking good at his job, Mark. I don't understand. This is not um, the way I get it. The money does not go against the salary cap. This is just whether or not he is worth it. And he is worth it. We did a dynasty bracket. I think we put him at number four. He has signed all the big names that led to our current dynasty. And it also sounds like in addition to being good at his job as a front office guy, he's also good as a conduit between the front office and the players. Here's another quote. Myers' departure would assuredly be unsettling to Curry. Myers is a Warriors executive with whom Curry is closest. The reigning finals MVP has become increasingly vocal about his win-now perspective, and Myers has been the primary voice easing Curry's concerns regarding the franchise's direction and commitment to the present. Curry's bent is for Warriors management to maximize the championship window, and one has to wonder how the face of the franchise would respond to losing the face of the front office. So that's our backdrop, all right? Um, and I know that you worked with the Warriors. I know you worked with Bob. You know all the players in here. So here's my first question for you, um, and I want to take advantage of your national setting, right? You're not stuck in our, in our backyard. What's Meyer's national reputation? I mean, around the league, how is he viewed as an executive? Oh, he's universally respected. And I think the 
beyond his accomplishments as an executive, the the top word that you hear from people around the league to describe all Bob Myers is he's authentic. Hmm. And when you're talking about someone in his position where it's all about your relationships and how strong they are, that goes a long way. And you outlined, I think, his role perfectly where he's not just a GM that's managing the salary cap or overseeing the draft or negotiating free agent deals and trades. It's also about being a conduit from all these different parties, from ownership to the coaches and players, from coaches to ownership, players to ownership. He is ultimately the guy that has been very good with managing personalities and putting out fires or, you know, maybe not being able to put out fires, but, you know, mitigating the fallout from those things of, you know, instead of it becoming an even bigger problem. And so I I don't think that the Warriors should be taken – that for granted. And I think that this story is very illuminating because of not only who wrote it, you know, Sam Amick, Marcus Thompson, Anthony Slater, they're all three uh, writers I know well, and they're top notch and great at what they do. So, so trust the reporting that comes out of it. But, you know, when I've talked to people in the organization, there's still this feeling of, yeah, like I'd be very surprised if Bob Myers winds up leaving. We do value him. This is just part of the negotiation process. But, you know, when I've pressed further, well, well, well not, why not nip this in the butt now? Like you yeah. guys gave an extension to Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins as a preventative problem-solving measure. Like yes. why not do that to Bob Myers? And I got the, yeah, that's a great point, great question, and then not much uh, – follow-up to that what is the answer so that that was gonna be one of my last questions i mean give give me your perspective because i can't come up with anything i don't understand it they they are making an ass ton of money they have the money they, the it doesn't count against the cap so paying bob doesn't you know hurt your ability to build a team around him can you think of any justification on why they wouldn't just pay him what the hell he wants yeah it's uh i i my 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 sense is it's two things one um, even though it doesn't go against the cap, I mean, the Warriors right now are in a position where, look, look, they're not like poor. They're actually the complete opposite, extremely wealthy. But yeah. knowing that they want to be very disciplined with their spending, not because this specific contract can result in luxury taxes, but because everything else is, they're being very cost conscious yeah. about things. And I think that they're also wanting to be very open-ended about things because they are, there is this fork in the road where they're trying to have two things at once of going all in with what they have in the current moment, but also trying to build for the future. But the reality is this, is that they're all intertied. It's all interconnected. If you, you know, kind of compromise the present, you're going to wind up compromising the future. Sure. And, and I think with Bob Myers, as much as, you know, there's a lot of other accomplished people in the front office and Joe Lacob is a very involved owner where on one hand, you know, he is prototypical Silicon Valley where he wants to hire the best and brightest and he'll pay good money for that. But he also wants to be heavily involved. Um, I think it's about keeping the options open, but I think that Bob Myers is I think exhibit A of, hey, you you don't want to take those kind of people for granted because he knows as much as he deserves kudos for knowing how to manage players and coaches, 
He also knows how to manage an owner like Joe Lake. Yeah, right. Not everyone has the personality to to uh, be able to respond well to his demanding kind of expectations. So while I think that obviously ever since he and Peter Guber bought the organization, it's come from a great place, and you know everything has been pretty much really good from a franchise standpoint under their direction. Uh, it also takes the right candidate not just in terms of their qualifications, but their demeanor to handle that kind of, of uh, demanding boss. I mean, look, a few years ago, I did a story about, you know, how the, the kind of this fascinating first world NBA problem of like, how much do all the parties involved actually like wind up enjoying the championship euphoria before like thinking yep. about the next season. And I talked to Joe Lacob about this because a lot of people in the organization told me that like he was notorious for getting into the locker room, enjoying the champagne bath and like moments later talking to Bob Myers and other people in the front office. Okay, guys, like what are we going to be doing about draft workouts next week? And it's kind of like, like WTF, can yeah. we enjoy the night? And he, you know, admitted, yeah, like I've done that, but it comes from, I want to be relentless. It's about being successful, but you know what? Like, when you tighten those screws, um, you know, Gary Vitti, the former uh, longtime Lakers trainer, he talked about this with Pat Riley. When you tighten those screws very, very tight, you can squeeze out more and more excellence, but eventually you can't tighten those screws any sure. more tighter or else it'll cause damage to the car, right? Yeah, you'll crack the fucking frame. I mean, yeah. absolutely right. Well, and I the, the other thing that concerns me about this story, so that story you just said, um, Lake up wanting excellence and then asking everybody else around him, how do we achieve that in an aggressive way? I'm fine with, you know why? Cause he's still asking. He's still allowing the basketball minds to decide what's good for the basketball team. What this suggests is he's starting to hit that place. We've seen with other owners where he'd like to make basketball decisions where they don't need the brightest minds to do this shit that, you know, maybe he can hire somebody for less money and then be more actively involved in the basketball calls. I hope to God that's not true. It it concerns me. Here, let me ask it this way. Maxine, I'll throw it your way. Do you think the Warriors are a dynasty without Bob Myers? Everything else is the same, all right? They, they still draft Steph. They still have Clay. Draymond's still on. Everything that happened before Bob was there happens, but Myers isn't a part of the team. Do you think they still have four titles? No, I mean, credit to Noah in the comments for pointing it out. Like, just the flip for, D for getting D'Lo in the first place and then for flipping that into Wiggins, that's such a key component of what allowed us to win a championship last year. I mean, that's just an example of the type of move that I think is entirely a credit to Bob Myers and how he operates. Well, and fucking back up a season, right? They, they're back up two seasons. The Warriors won 73. They won the most games you can possibly win during a regular season. You know what Bob Myers' reaction to that was? Not good enough. I better still have cap room to sign KD. And he did. And he did. He, you know, he, he had the biggest free agent coup in the history of the sport, in my mind. And it wasn't when they desperately needed it. It's when they didn't desperately need it. And they still brought him on. I mean, that, that's the definition of excellence. It's not the type of thing you want to fuck around with. And I, I don't get what's happening. Um, give me some more background, Mark. When you were there, was the relationship between Myers and the players obvious? You know what I mean? Like, did you see them interacting? And, and would this, is there a possibility if he leaves, it would upset, you know, some of the long-term stars of the franchise? Yeah, I would not be surprised if it upset the... Uh stars long-term of the franchise. Now, look, like, 
The stars of the franchise also got upset when Mark Jackson was let go. True. Um, so there is a formula, but yep. I think that Bob Myers, he's really shown that he's he talks the talk and walks the walk. And it's not just about, hey, does Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, Draymond Green like me? It's also he he's really good at his job. I mean, every pivot point in the Warriors' history, uh, you know, that led up to the dynasty years, you know, Bob Myers is a part of it, whether it's involving, you know, that uh, extension with Steph Curry at the time that was considered controversial. Like, hey, how could you give Steph all this money when he's having ankle problems? And then it became a cap-saving mechanism later down the line because of how well Steph Curry was. Right and also how it created the cap space to get Kevin Durant. He was part of those discussions about resisting the, the calls to trade uh, Clay Thompson a possible Kevin Love deal. I mean, he was part of the uh, uh, lore of getting Kevin Durant here in the first place, right. not just from a cap perspective, but just a human relationship perspective. He was also, I think, very instrumental in getting Kevin Durant to sign on board about, hey, you know what? We can't keep you, but can you uh, agree to for yep. us to do a signing trade? Give us uh, something. You remove Bob Myers from that equation, and uh, I don't think those things happen. Maybe some of them happen, but not all of them. And the things that do happen, it's certainly not as seamless. I really hope that this is just negotiation. Right. And then and this is the definition of negotiation. Turn it into a car. Even if I desperately want to buy your car, I don't come and say, I definitely want to buy it. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with it and why I want to pay less for it. Just part of the negotiation. And perhaps that's what's happening. Um, and Lakeup has shown when he thinks that it could actually impact wins, he'll pay insane amounts of money. I don't remember what he gave Kelly Oubre in taxes alone. But he came out of pocket. He was willing to do it, you know, and we've seen the other side. He's been a little cheap with people like Chelsea Lane or Jerry West. He is or, you know, he, he's decided occasionally this is not the moment I'm going to bust out my giant checkbook. I hope to God this is when he recognizes Bob Myers impacts wins. Keep him. You know, this it just doesn't make any sense, which leads to the where the rubber meets the road question mark. If you had to guess, you had to bet something that was significant to you. Do you think Bob Myers will be the Warriors GM uh, after this contract? Yeah, I think the war uh, Bob Myers will be the Warriors GM after this next contract. I mean, I think that there's still internal optimism that he winds up staying and that a lot of this is just the nature of the negotiations. Now, I don't know the exact terms of how much he's paid or how much he could be paid and how it compares to the rest of the league. But I think the thing that you have to keep in mind when it pertains to general managers, you know, their salaries have a lot of incentives attached to them. So there's a certain amount that's guaranteed money and then incentives a la how successful the team winds up becoming. And so maybe that's part of the, the sticking points with certain sure. negotiations. But I think philosophically what's important here is that I know that these are first world problems to the general fan and that no one's ever going to discount, hey, money being a factor. But when it's about, hey, well, Bob expects to be paid a certain amount here. Yes, literally, we're talking dollar figures, but I think it's also the symbolism of sure. how you're being appreciated and what your value is in the franchise. And he's also shown through his words and also personality that he's not a GM that wants to be in the spotlight and toot right. his own horn and 
Uh, he's certainly not the the Jerry Krause of this era where, you know, he's trying to <laughs> act like he's the smartest guy in the room and say things like, you know, players don't win championships alone, organizations do. He'll be the first to say it's about the players, and I've been in- incredibly fortunate that I've got to oversee a team that's had Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and Draymond Green and Clay Thompson and Andre Wadawa, and I'm I'm here along for the ride. Uh, but he also knows his sense of work and that he's also, you know, put in the work. Uh, you know, I talked with him, I believe in 2016, uh, because I, I was covering the Lakers at the time for the LA Daily News. And he, like, he was kind of a, like a local story yep. because he was a UCLA walk-on. And while there, when you look at his journey, there's certainly, and he'll be the first to admit it, uh, him being, you know, kind of this, uh, beneficiary of being at the right place at the right time. Like people around him is likened him to Forrest Gump. Like he's always <laughs> been around at the right moment. Right. But he's also taken advantage of all these opportunities that have been afforded to him where, you know, he was encouraged to walk on at UCLA. He didn't play a lot of games or a lot of minutes, but he was viewed as a very valuable piece to those final four teams as a, as a great teammate, great p- practice player, he went to law school and then got an internship at Wasserman Media Group working for Arn Tellum. And the people there love him. You know, Arn Tellum, Casey Wasserman, they they um, sing their praises. I mean, it's a very tragic connection here, but in lieu of the three-year anniversary of Kobe Bryant's passing, like I talked to Kobe for a, a, a story related to his post-basketball career you know, tragically nine days before his passing for a story for USA Today. But after that interview, like we were just catching up because I covered the last part of his career. And he he brought up Bob Myers on his own. Like the context of it was just kind of the full circle nature of like covering the Lakers. And I was covering the Warriors for a few years. Now I'm at this new job at USA Today and uh, I'm back in LA. And so we're just kind of catching up. And he started bringing up, you know, the Warriors and he was talking about Bob Myers about just how, you know, he was thinking in nostalgic terms, you know, how he remembered, you know, working with him when Arn Telm was his agent at the time when he was, you know, a rookie in the NBA and just how much it meant to him, how supportive and helpful he was to him as a client. And those things, you know, fast forward to now in the Warriors, that champ, those championship players had the same of feelings of affection. Of like they that, do. That same year when I, you know, did this whole story about his journey, I talked to Clay Thompson about, you know, what Bob meant to the organization. And specifically at that time, that was when, in 2016, when, you know, he was one of the prominent voices that resisted the calls for Clay to, to, to be traded. Yep. And, and Clay expressed so much gratitude about that, about the value that he, that Bob Myers saw in him as a player. And, and he said, it, it makes me want to run a break brick wall through him okay. uh, for my play. If that's the only thing you said today, I mean, and the Kobe story is amazing. All the context is amazing. If that's the only thing you told me that clay literally feels a, a debt of loyalty and, and you know, a connection with him fucking sign him. Uh, I'll give you my own random ass personal story years and years and years ago. When we first started this damn thing, when Scotty was still on the show, we did an interview of Kirk Lacob and it was at when the Warriors were still playing in Oakland. We went over to the Coliseum and they put us in some back office and we're finishing out the interview and Myers walked in there and it was only because he must have wanted to use the office. He didn't want to participate in the interview and he was in there for maybe 
30 seconds. In the course of those 30 seconds, he said one little thing to all of us. He said something to me, he said something to Kirk, something to Scotty, something to somebody else. And in each one of those interactions, he made us feel important, liked, and that we wanted to spend more time with him. You know, that skill set just on its own, take away knowledge of the cap, take away the ability to bring in free agents, just the connection. You know, if he's been able to build that with the rest of this team, they need to value it and they need to reward him for it. So keep Bob Myers is, uh, is Rollo in that segment. Yeah. And, and you know, if you don't mind me piggybacking and adding to that, uh, what, that, that incident that you outlined, that's very in line with what Bob Myers is known for. And, you know, in this line of work, whether it's, you know, in his background, uh, an executive, a GM or a former player agent, there's a lot of charismatic and people friendly uh, uh, candidates in the field like that. But sometimes there's a feeling of uh, inauthenticity or, sure. you know, they're they're pulling out the charm to try to sell you on something. And you never get that impression with Bob. Yeah. And that's not just from, hmm. you know, a media member like me. That's, you know, people around the NBA, whether it's other agents, other executives, players, you know, and, and that goes a long way because, again, in this first world insular uh, atmosphere with the NBA, one of the things that, you know, players, coaches, other executives, agents, that, that they become real cynical about it's just the mixed motives and, you know, the, the sniffing out the BS. Of course. And there's no BS with Bob. Like, it's very authentic. It's very straightforward. It's very humble. And at the end of the day, when he has to be a negotiator and he has to talk business, he's going to do that. But he also understands, like, we're all human and it's it's all about relationships. And I can't think of anyone uh, better than Bob Myers that, you know, really knows how to perfect that balance. And and the reason why he's able to do that is because that's who he is as a person. Yep. So in some ways, it's just very natural to him because uh, he doesn't have to follow a script. He's just being himself. Pay him, pay him. Um, we've, we've explored a thousand, a thousand downsides of two championship windows. One we haven't explored, it's the personal side, the kind of massaging you'll have to do between the two windows to make them both be happy, you know? And it sounds like Bob Myers has the exact personality we need to facilitate that. Pay him. Uh, Mark, I've got a judgment theater here. I've got one more question for us, but I also know we've kept you longer than promised, man. If you've got time, I'll bring us through this. If not, we can, uh, we can cut you loose. You tell me. Hey, if you want more time, you got to negotiate with my agent, Bob Myers. Right? No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's, we, we, we have, we have. Bob, Bob already gave me the green light. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fit it into By the all means, we'll, we'll, we'll continue. Appreciate you. So this story comes from a Patreon supporter, from Joe. And we got a, a Slack channel that has all of our Patreon supporters on there. And people occasionally share things with us. So he shared this with us. Joe went to an Apple store, um, was picking out some various products, considered buying an Apple TV, brought it up to the cashier, but then at the last minute decided he didn't want it anymore. But the cashier made two mistakes, Mark. They kept the Apple TV in his bag and they did not charge him for it. On his way out, he sees that. He sees that or he hadn't actually left the cashier's presence, but... I want you to put yourself in this scenario. You are at an Apple TV store. You wanted the Apple TV, didn't want to pay it. Um, they gave it to you anyways, and they didn't charge you for it. 
What would you do? Would you say anything? Would you walk out? What's your move? Don't answer. We are going to judge each other. So put me in the driver's seat first, gentlemen. I'm standing there. I'm at the cashier. I've done that kind of awkward glance down. I see that they have not charged me for it, although it's in my bag. What's my move? Do I say anything? Do I pick up and run? What happens? <laughs> you definitely don't pick up and run. At least we know that, right? I feel like you cool, calm, and collected. The thing is, at the end of the day, uh, despite all the things you might describe yourself as, I think you're the type of person that would be like, you know what? Like, this is, uh, you would give it back. That's my guess. Mark? Yeah, I think that you would have this internal uh, dialogue with yourself for a while and then you'd ultimately conclude i want to get away with this but this might catch up to me at the end so i'll relent and fold my cards so i love the faith you guys have in me and portion of it's right so i would do a karma analysis all right and it would the, the, let me the quickest answer on this is i'm selfish and would be selfish here so karma analysis like let's say i have something coming up like the Warriors are in a big game and I want them to win or I have a case that I'm really worried about and I want to go on my side, then I'd want the karma to be on my side. And so in that scenario, I'd be like, nope, I didn't pay for this. you know. And all I'm doing is just trying to get the karma back onto me. If there's not something like that, if it's just a clean environment, I would definitely keep it. I wouldn't run out and I would start a aggressively friendly conversation with the cashier so they didn't notice it. You know, just like, oh, is it always busy like this? And <laughs> I can't believe it's so hot today. Like just some canned bullshit so that I could get out of there and have them not charge me. So you guys are on the money, but only to the extent that if I gave it back, it would just be to benefit me anyway. So I am a selfish SOB to Maxime. So if it's like a mom and pop shop, right? Like, let's say it's like a small grocer and they didn't charge him for a sandwich. 100% he gives it back. There, there's no question at all, at all. In this larger setting with like Apple and kind of a corporate larger person, I'm still saying it, you wouldn't take it. I, you, I, I still think you would think about it. You would look at the exit. You'd, you'd play out the whole thing. And then at the last moment, like, no, 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 kind of panic and tell them about it and, and give it back. That's my guess for you. What do you think, Mark? Maxima, uh, I don't even know I was going to say honest person, but I shouldn't put it that way because I, that would make me dishonest. So is he the kind of person who would give it back? Yeah, I, I mean, while I both, while I thought that you would also give it back, Bram, I think Maxime is more likely to give it back. <laughs> I'll take that as the backhanded uh, compliment that it was intended as. Go ahead, Maxime, what's the answer? Yeah, you're dead on. Uh, but with all of that said, I... There, a part of me would still be like, yeah, but I deserve something for this, you know? <laughs> so I would, I don't know exactly how it would roll because you got, you got to be a good reader people. You got to, you know, you have to have had a relationship with the individual cashier, but I think there's an opportunity here. I'll put it the other way. If I'm the cashier that made that mistake and you come to me and you're like, Hey, this thing happened. I might try to like slip you a $20 gift go. card or something, yeah. you know? So there's that also, but uh, before we, before we flip over to Mark, there's some interesting comments here, which say that, uh, Bram, you would blame me, uh, when you tried to run and got caught and then that I would actually take the fall for you. Uh, <laughs> so some interesting thoughts in the comments here. Weird. Those are weird thoughts. I don't Why are we at that store together in that instance? You know, I don't do a lot of Apple shopping with my co-hosts, but uh, fair enough. Let's still turn it to Mark. This is the easiest answer I've ever had ever. Mark, if you bought Tic Tacs and there was an extra Tic Tac in there, I think you'd fucking return it. I don't, I don't there is not 
there's no question in my mind they wouldn't even get to the portion where they asked you for your credit card before you were like oh no 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 you're gonna definitely want to take this back there's no way you're taking it so hard out absolutely not you would not take it yeah mark's always saying his hands are clean so <laughs> oh you know what i hadn't factored in the shady graffiti set that's interesting that's an interesting look i despite your uh your scandalous career as a mural defacing criminal i still think that you would return it what's the answer yeah i would return it i mean i would uh i, I would definitely have that fascination man it would be great to uh get this for free but Here's how I operate. I can be uh, a very sharp negotiator when it comes down to, you know, when you're buying a car and large purchase items, say like get the best deal that you can. Or if you got screwed on something like making sure that you're getting your fair due, but I don't then want to take advantage. So I would, uh, <laughs> I, I would definitely say, Hey, you forgot this and give it back. Now I'll come clean on this, but it also comes at all. <laughs> It also comes under the guise of what I was saying. Like, I'm never someone who's going to take advantage of something or someone. But if I feel I'm being taken advantage, like I'll fight, right? Yeah. And stand up for myself. In high school, I'm in the cafeteria and I got shortchanged on like the food portions. And I got really upset and I wound up doubling and <laughs> acting like it was single. And I got caught. Like, I actually got in trouble for it. <laughs> Uh, I, all I can say is I love this podcast. I did <laughs> the, the idea that we're getting like late confessions from your high school crimes is so fantastic to me. Would you double up on, do you remember the food? I bet you remember all the details that stuck out with you. What was I, I, don't, it you know, I don't know all the details other than like, they significantly went like low portions and I knew like that was lower than expected because you're in the school cafeteria. Like they serve similar things like every week and that really irritated me and i called them out on it and they said no this is the right portion so then i picked up another order and put in the same container and uh i wound up you know paying for one item but then you know i guess there were some uh teachers that saw me and then i got called to the office bastards those bastards well i mean the best news is we now have a bullet point for your next open the next time you're on the show there i don't you know go. how i'm gonna bring this up a thousand percent <laughs> this will definitely be in there mark i love the shows that you're on i was um looking forward to this one man i the this myers thing has me weird i'm kind of in my feelings and to get your insight on it is just invaluable i know i'm not alone for people who need far more medina in their life where do they go well, uh, continue to listen to Warriors Huddle because Bram will introduce me in a future episode Can't with wait. some very nice things to say, but then right. some factually incorrect and character-facing oh, no, things to say. It'll be accurate. Someone um, who stole food from a cafeteria. Mr. Mark, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, so that, uh, that you know, where I work as well, NBA.com, NBA TV. Also do some side work on the TV side with Spectrum Sportsnet in L.A., with Fox Sports on the radio side with Fox Sports Radio. Also to do a, an NBA podcast, NBA Pulse with Sarah Kustak uh, as part of the NBA.com network. So a lot, of, a lot of different channels to hit. That's right. For us, you want to find me, I'm in Apple stores across the state with Maxime. Um, we, we like to oh, shop together. Yeah. And, and he, he occasionally screws me over and gets me caught, but whatever stories for a different podcast. No, our, uh, 
Our social media presence remains only on one site. That's Twitter, where we are at Warriors Huddle. And if you want to shoot us an email, let us know we did a good job, bad job, any job, you can shoot that to Huddle at WarriorsHuddle.com. Which is rolling on the bottom of the screen. With that in mind, go Warriors. Hopefully, we'll see you real soon. Good, good.